welcome to this episode of the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Johnson. Our guest this episode is a good friend, Dr. Rob Bell. He's a mental toughness coach, author, and speaker. He's caddied on the PGA Tour. He's the host of the 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. My man's competed in full Ironmans, marathons, and ultra marathons of his many books. He's got a brand new one out called Puke and Rally. Welcome to the show, my friend, Dr. Rob Bell. If you could just elaborate a bit uh, about how you got into coaching mental toughness and what kind of drove you to uh, get you to where you are now uh, as a coach. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Tyler. I appreciate it, man. Um, you know, I, w- I was an athlete that, that always thought too much. I mean, I, I played every single sport kind of growing up and probably excelled in like baseball and soccer. But, uh, you know, I was like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. I was an athlete that thought way too much. Yeah. I just couldn't shut off the mind. And any time I talked with a coach about it, they could never help me out, you know. And I was always, that was always frustrating to me. Um, you know, and I never worked as hard as I should have. It, it kind of came easy to me early on. I peaked real early. And, uh, but when I got to college playing baseball, I had a really bad injury. And then I took my first psychology class. And when I took that first psychology class, I was like, wow, I, I love this stuff. This is very interesting to me. And it was during that time that I started following a, um, the decathlon with the U.S. and what Reebok had at those times were the Dan and Dave commercials and who was going to win the gold medal in decathlon. And so, um, uh, you know, what was, what was supposed to be a gold medal from one of these athletes turned into Dan O'Brien, not even making the Olympic team. You know, he goes to Olympic trials, he no heights. And I start following this guy's career because I'm like, how does this happen? It's not making any sense. And he started to see a sports psychologist, someone that would help him out with his controllables, his routines, um, you know, just life outside of, of what he was doing in his sport. And when that happened, I said, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. That's what I want to do with my career. So I kind of knew early on and then was blessed with that, you know, kind of tattoo in my soul. That's what I want to do. And, you know, I was blessed enough to be able to make a career out of working with athletes, coaches, and teams, helping them perform their best when it matters the most. Awesome. And, uh, I know you uh, recently had Dan on your podcast. We'll, we'll link that oh, up yeah. here, um, as well. So you can find that link here. Um, among the, uh, the several books that you've wrote, uh, one of the messages I really always love uh, hearing you talk about is uh, your book, No One Gets There Alone. Um, yes. If you could kind of talk a little bit about that book and about that concept, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, man. So the fact that no one gets there alone, I mean, this was just a hinge moment that kind of happened in my life that changed the way uh, I approached my life, but also how I, you know, teach and coach. Um, the, uh, you know, I signed up, I was always told, you know, if you never give up, that you will be successful. And I wouldn't say I let go of mistakes really well. I wouldn't say I'm really that, you know, confident. Um, but I'd say what I can do is not give up. Like I won't give up. And then I'd say that's, that's a skill of mine. So um, I had to answer this question. If I do this half Ironman with no training, could I finish? Like I didn't even own a bike, Tyler, <laughs> but I decided to sign up for this half Ironman, 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, and then 13.1 mile run. That was always kind of in shape, but I hadn't been trained for this. I ended up doing the race. I had to borrow somebody's bike. And during that 
ride, my back tire goes flat and I've got nothing to be able to change it. Haven't ridden a bike in 10 years. How am I going to change a tire, man? <laughs> and uh, a guy stops his own race and changes my tire. And the only part then that I had to ask myself after this significant life event was what I stopped. I wouldn't have stopped. I wouldn't even have thought about it. What stopped my own race to help somebody? This guy does this and it changes the way I approach everything. And then I started researching it. Why would people stop to help other people? Why do we help others? And the reason why is because we, we cannot help out others without also helping out ourselves. You see, one of the most selfish things that we can do in life is to focus on others. And it's only when we focus on others do we get the, the Sheldon from Big Bang Theory guy out of our own head. Look, our problems are still going to be there, but, you know, it's my station, my radio station is turning to K-Rob 24 hours a day. How does this affect me and how does this affect my situation? And that's what happens. When I can turn the channel, I can focus on others. I'm not focused on my own problems. I'm focused on helping somebody else out. And the reason why it's significant in how it changes my coaching is because I can't coach myself. I still can't coach myself. I have to allow others to be able to coach me. And I believe everybody needs a coach. And since we can't coach ourselves, I think we were meant to be on this earth to be able to coach other people and allow others to coach us. And that's what I think it means that no one gets there alone. Uh, if we, I think if, you know, that adage is true, man, that if, you know, if you want to go fast, you know, you can go alone, but if you want to go far, you got to go together. And then it matters about the community that we build and, and the relationships that we build up. I love that. Great, great stuff. Um, among the stories I've heard you share in the past, uh, one that I love about resilience and, um, kind of those hinge moments, uh, that you talk about is a, is a story about, uh, NBA player, John Starks. Mm, yeah. Uh, you could share a little bit about that. Cause, uh, seeing him growing up, you know, seeing the way he played, I, I never knew this story kind of, uh, early on in his career. And, and if you could share that with us, I'd love it. Yeah, man. So, I mean, there's a great video. On, uh, on John Starks that we had uh, had created, man, I, I love the video, you know, but it's, it's basically in every bad situation, some good is going to come out of it. And, you know, John Starks was just, a, I mean, if you look at the 90s with the Knicks, it was John Starks. I mean, the toughness that he had, the, uh, you know, YouTube, John Starks, Michael Jordan, you're going to see John Starks dunking on Michael Jordan and then, you know, staring at him. And that's the type of player he was, you know. And, um you know, Reggie Miller could get under John Starks, but not many people could. Right. And so John Starks, um, I mean, he was just a nobody coming out of high school. You know, only played a little bit of high school. Went to a community college to play. Played one year of Division One ball and then has a tryout with the Golden State Warriors. Doesn't make the team. That's it. Gets a tryout with the New York Knicks. Well, John Starks has it in his mind that he's going to dunk on seven-footer seven Patrick Ewing. You know, three-and-a-half – blocks a game Patrick Ewing Hall of Famer and as he goes up to dunk on Patrick Ewing Patrick Ewing rejects him sends him to the ground John Starks hurts his knee every bad situation some good is going to come out of it the NBA had a rule that you couldn't cut injured players the only reason why John Starks made that team was because he was injured and when he started a rehab they started to see wow this guy really works hard and look at his shot and let's see what he can do the rest is history, man, because of John Stark's work ethic and his attitude towards the game uh, and his mentality. That's what helped create 
you know, the Knicks as they were, man, in the 90s and that toughness. And every bad situation, some good comes out of it. And that was, that was a John Stark situation. Yeah, no doubt. Kind of a, you know, bad situation uh, with a flat tire turned into a, a great book. Yeah, it's so true, man. And, you know, nobody wants to go through the adversity. You know, I don't, I don't want this week to be a really power, you know, really yeah. adverse week. Right. I want it to go nice in the way I want it planned, and I'll set up my own adversity, you know. Yeah. But it's only going through that adversity do we learn, you know, do we get better. And when the bad stuff really happens, that's when good comes out of it. No doubt. Um, kind of looking ahead, uh, I know you've shared with me, uh, I believe you're training for a 50-miler coming up. Is that right? Yep, yep that's uh, right, man, 50-miler. JFK 50-miler. All right. Um, can you – Talk or share a little bit about, uh, you know, especially from that, that Ironman you talked about here a little bit earlier, um, your training or, or mental preparation that you do coinciding with, with some of the physical preparation you obviously uh, attack? Yeah, man. So, like, uh, I brought it up the other night, like, at dinner, and I was just talking to my kids. You know, I just uh, – we got to get it outside of our own head, you know, and I was just kind of talking with them. I said, you know, I just don't know if I'm – prepared for this race you know and uh they threw it back on me and said well when do you have to be ready i said well november 23rd that's when the race is yeah. and then they asked what well, do you think you'd be ready then i said yeah i said all right well what's you know what's the problem so yeah good point you know <laughs> too often we allow these bad races these bad uh training sessions to you know kind of derail us you know we always got to remember training is for training racing is for racing yeah. Can't, be can't be testing ourselves when we're training. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a buildup of miles. It's a buildup of hills. Uh, being out in Vegas last week and then training on the hills was important. Um, and that's just putting these long runs together. And then these, uh, you know, it, it really becomes all-encompassing. I mean, you got to have that support around you because, um, you know, it – it matters about the support you got. If you got too much static from the outside and then, you know, it's not supportive of the situation, what you're trying to do really gets tough, man. So I think that support is so big. Um, it's just increasing the miles, increasing the miles. And the tough part for me, um, you know what, it's not going to be the mental part. I mean, the mental part is at some point there's always that breakdown. And I understand that I get that, um, and it's going to be, you know, just simple stuff. Getting back to your mantra, uh, I never train with music. I never listen to music when I run because i got to be always in touch with what my mind's always saying to me, you know. If your mind is saying to you, go ahead and slow down here, you know, because you don't need to push it, is that the strategy or is that accurate? Yeah. Sometimes I could be running with people, you know, and start racing other people. Is that the right strategy or is that like just trying to challenge your ego? So sure. those kind of mental, mental things become important. Um, but the, the tough part then becomes, you know, what I always think is we, we race like we train. We play like we train. It's so important. If we're not putting ourselves in those type of training our nutrition, training our hydration. If we listen to music all the time when we run, but we can't listen to music when we race, man, we're not training like we, like we can, like we race. And it's being able to simulate that stuff. And it's being able to overcome that negative voice in all the areas of our life that it pops up because that's the voice that we're going to have to fight in the race. It's just going to pop up in a different way. Yeah. You know, um, we're always, the, the mental challenges that we do is we're always fighting ourselves. 
and our mind has a strategic advantage over us because our mind, same thing this morning, Tyler was like, my mind, my mind wakes up, you know, Rob, man, buddy, you ran a hard one yesterday. You don't have to run today. Yeah. Yeah. You got to fight that, man. I got to get up and get going and, and, and get after it because that's who we're fighting is that voice. And that's the voice that's going to pop up and what it's going to look like and how we're going to combat it and go after it. You know, no well, uh, training comes into play, man. No doubt. So from uh, Ironmans and, and 50 milers, you, you've also spent a, a good amount of time on the golf course and worked with uh, golfers and, and caddied on the PGA. Can you talk about uh, maybe one of the greatest lessons uh, you learned on the course uh, through your time with, with PGA? I mean, I could, I could probably throw some stories in there. I mean, I'll probably say this, that it's just, there's no one way to do anything. Um, there's not. I mean, there is, uh, there's multiple ways to, to reach your goals. Yeah. Um, but you better know what your, what your recipe is and it's okay to work on the recipe, but you got to know what it is. And if you don't know what your recipe is, then, then you're going to focus on different, uh, you know, what other people are doing, how other people do things. And then, and then it just be, you know, there's no, we don't know then our core values and, and what we're good at. So that's the part that, uh, that we really got to be so sure of is there's no one way to like reach that success. Sure. I like that uh, analogy of the recipe. Uh, I feel like when you're not like saying so you don't know it or, or, or at least have it or, or tinker with it, uh, you start to waste, of it, waste your ingredients. I like that, man. Right. I think, right. You just start to, yeah, what do I, eat? you know, and you're wasting, you start to waste and you know, it's kind of the, the waste would probably be the uncontrollables in that, that analogy. Yeah. yeah, for sure, man. But that's what happens. I mean, if we don't know our recipe, we start searching a bunch and we start searching. We're not practicing. Yeah. We always got to practice, get back to the fundamentals, man. And I think uh, for myself to the kind of the mention the controllables there uh, with the recipe analogy, Myself, when I was a teenager, I, I had no clue about the recipe and, and uh, oh, my mental makeup, uh, you know, was roller coaster and, and didn't really have a great uh, skill set in high school. Working with a lot of high school athletes now, um, what's one maybe uh, mental skill and training tool that you think uh, high school athletes that, that are really serious that want to start to develop that could embrace? Another one I mean, part's the hard part. <laughs> what's that the one part is the hard part of that question but, yeah um what comes to mind something from from your time i mean one of the things that i'll see um you know i mean you could start with breathing i think that's definitely the big part you know getting to the breathing and getting centered is is what's going to be big but the part that I think with athletes nowadays, what they struggle the most with is letting go of mistakes. We have to be able to find ways to refocus and let go of mistakes. If you show me an athlete that can refocus, I'm going to show you an athlete that's mentally tough that can move on. Yeah. You know? But, uh, but we've got perfectionist athletes. We've got safe athletes that don't want to make mistakes. And it's not how we really reach our potential that way. Um, we've got to be able to make mistakes. I'll be willing to put ourselves out there and it's okay um, and we got to know what our identity is. Okay. Those, those are the, the big parts, man. I like it. Good stuff. Um, and you spend a lot of time, uh, coaching and speaking with college athletes across the country as well. 
Um, is there something that in those environments with kind of the college athlete that challenges you see now that maybe you didn't see several years ago when you were in those environments? I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's multiple changing all the time. I mean, um, there's just a lot more things that I just don't understand and I like, I don't get, you know, and it's my job to kind of just understand and kind of get where people are coming from and understand their perspective on things, you know, like for example, like I never videoed myself dancing in front of a camera and posting videos of that stuff, you know, I mean, I see that that's different now than what it was from certainly many years ago. Sure. Um, you know, Twitter isn't the number one medium for college athletes now, you know? Um, and so I think what a big struggle is, is a lot of times they just see the highlight reels from other people, everybody having success. Like you show me a highlight reel from somebody where they're dropping passes. Like you show me an Instagram video from somebody where they're missing shots. Right. They never miss shots, man. They make everything. That's not reality. So there's, there's kind of a distorted view then of what we view success and how we view, uh, um, you know, this whole journey that we're going to be on. And uh, I think a lot of times, like, the hype is just what people are after instead of that long-term success, which is, which is what's really going to sustain. Um, that's the part that I see to be a real big challenge, real big struggle, because especially when it comes to mental health is we're, we're comparing our own behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reels. And that's why we feel inferior. That's why we feel, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're lacking in our lives a lot of times. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned there kind of the, uh, you know, distortion of the view of success. Uh, how do you view leadership and from your experience, you know, having worked with a lot of great athletes and things over your time, uh, what are some of the qualities that, that make a great leader? So the qualities I think that make a great leader, um, it's, I don't think it's, it's certainly not one thing. Um, and I think he can be a, a good leader in a couple of different ways. You know, I don't think he necessarily have to be one of those vocal people. Um, but what I think you have to do is I think you have to help people with their own vision about what, who they can be. You got to treat people as they can become. If you treat somebody as they are, they're going to remain as they are. If you treat people as they can become, they're going to become that. Yep. And I think that's the great job of what leadership does. And it all flows downhill, man. Yeah. You know, if you show me a team that really struggles, I'm going to show you a team without like good leadership. Yeah. But the problem is, is, you know, we're never taught how to lead or how we connect with people. I mean, you know, there's some of the common characteristics. I mean, I think great leaders really just aim to serve others, aim to focus on others. Um, I think they, they do a good job of being able to communicate. I think they do a good job of being able to have those tough conversations uh, and to be able to set what the expectations are for that group and that culture. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the part where I look at the great great leaders those are the couple of things i definitely see what they do yeah.